10 players, 10 Auburn Tigers that are ready to take that big step forward after a day. Well, Zach, I, I actually just finished crushing some chicken farm, and I am freaking ready to rock and roll. You are Locked On Auburn, your daily podcast on the Auburn Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On Auburn, your daily Auburn Tigers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Blackerby. Thank you so much for making Locked On Auburn your first listen every single day. And it's Monday, so we are joined by the one and only Lindsey Crosby, host of Locked On MLB Prospects, also a writer at AuburnDaily.com. Com. There's a lot of upside on this team. We talked about it last week with Auburn being a top 10 team on the ESPN um, FPI. You know, uh, is that legitimate or not? Probably not. But I, I do think you can look at this team and pick out a little bit of upside throughout the roster. So, fun enough, we decided to both bring a list of five. Y- your list may have six, but five or six folks that we think can take a big step after seeing what they did last weekend in A-Day, and I think we should just kind of jump into it, Lindsay. My first one is Malcolm Johnson Jr. I think his, you know, uh, ability to bring explosive play, or at least the threat of having an explosive play on the outside of the field is something this team has been missing for a long time, even when they had the guy that could do it, Anthony Schwartz, they didn't really use Schwartz. In that way, it seems like this team understands what they have with Malcolm Johnson Jr., and that excites me. Um, They went to him early and often in A-Day, and I think he has a chance to really help this offense stretch the field because they will so desperately need that to help take Bixby in the running game in 2022. Yeah, I'm kind of picking up on a theme here because I also had this thing in there where uh, I picked a wide receiver as well. It's something when you've lost as many guys as they have out of this room, and you saw last year, Obviously, you you bring in Demetrius Robinson to kind of be your number one. Doesn't work out this way the way you think it's going to be. Right. There's definitely playing time there. There's definitely stuff. I think Malcolm Johnson Jr. is going to be a good addition to this team. Uh, the guy I had as, and this is in no particular order. This is just you know yes. kind of random here. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, the guy that I had was Tavares Dawson. And when you go back and you watch a day, you know for for the receivers that were on the field, he leads the receivers in in, in targets with five. Uh, receptions, three for 28. He had a, a, a deep ball they almost connected on for a touchdown, which is that aspect you haven't seen a lot of. And he even gets a carry for seven yards. And so between Malcolm Johnson Jr. and Tavares Dawson, I feel like you have two guys that can be more explosive than you've seen in recent years from this Auburn team as far as getting their hands on the ball. And just something that this offense needs as an extra dimension. Auburn's leading receiver last year, Kobe Hudson, had 580 yards receiving last year. Do you think Tarvarish Dawson or Malcolm Johnson Jr. go over that number? One of them will. I just don't know which so one. So you think the leading receiver has more than Kobe did last year? I think the leading receiver has more than Kobe did last year okay. because I'm expecting... I mean, like, number of catches, it's probably going to be close, but I'm expecting a couple of those deeper balls to pad the numbers a bit. I mean, if you take Kobe Hudson's line and you give him one 70-yard pass, it looks dramatically different. And so I expect whoever's the number one, whether it's Johnson or Dawson, to have a similar line as far as number of catches, but they'll have one or two deep shots that'll probably push them over that yardage total. Yeah, interestingly enough, according to ESPN, 
the top three receivers all average 13.2 yards per catch. Kobe Hudson, Shedrick Jackson, Demetrius Robertson. The only thing that changed was the amount of catches that each of them had. So that's something worth noting um, as we kind of talk about this upcoming season. And of course, Shedrick Jackson was number two on the team last year with 527. Are people too low on him? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I think we're all pulling for him. No question about it. Um, My number two, uh, and once again, no particular order, but the second guy I have on this list is Owen Papo. And so I know a lot of people are going to be hearing like, well, what? He's, he's, He's already a really good player. I was listening to the drive with Bill Cameron last week and Jason Caldwell uh, with Inside the Auburn Tigers was on there. And he talked about how Owen has the opportunity. I mean, he's essentially been acting as a coach on the sideline um, ever since he's been injured. He's been very involved and active on the sidelines. He just obviously can't play due to that that ankle shakeup. So um, going throughout spring, he's been very involved with his team as much as he can be without playing. Is there going to be an added element to Owen Papo's game going into 2022. First off, this will be the first time he hasn't gone through spring in several years. You know, essentially since he started playing football, is his body more fresh? And also, the mental side of it. Will he be able to understand how to implement exactly what the defensive coordinator wants him to do and his defensive coaches want him to do? I thought it was an interesting argument. I'm not fully in on it. I do think some things matter. I do think reps matter, but... Um, with Owen, you know he has the physical ability, assuming he gets that confidence back in that ankle and he's able to to do what he needs to do. But I've kind of thought a weakness of his game was kind of scheme-related. You know, what part of the field am I responsible for in pass coverage situations? And so maybe now that he's kind of been able to see the game from a different light, possibly, possibly, Lindsay, and tell me if this is a reach, but maybe, maybe he can uh, take a step forward in 2022. I think the biggest thing for him is, yeah, just just maybe a better understanding of what everybody's doing in the defense and, and how the offense is trying to attack you. So this time, and when you first said Owen Papo, I'm like, I was kind of thinking, what else can he do? But then you you laid it out. I really felt dirty well. writing it down. Yeah, yeah. But you laid it out really well. Just a Thank better you. understanding, like a more of a holistic understanding of what the entire defense is doing versus just what his job is or his assignment. And those guys that have that awareness. You see them be able to freelance when they need to, when they can pick up on something that the defense isn't adjusted right for. That's an element to his game I'd love to see added. And uh, it's kind of it's kind of coincidental you had Papo there because my the next on my list, which is in no particular order, uh, I actually had linebacker as well, but cheated a little bit here. I've got both Wesley Steiner and Cam Riley. Okay. They were, yeah, they were the the two first team linebackers for a day. Uh, Riley had five tackles and a sack for a loss of nine. Right. Steiner had six tackles, and it's something where one of those two guys is going to be the new second linebacker next to Owen Papo. And I'm a little bit cheating here because I don't quite know which one it is, but I think both of them. I think it's Cam have- Riley, Lindsay. I think Cam I- Riley will be a starter. I think it's Cam Riley as well, but I, I wanted to hedge my bet there just a little bit. Uh, but still, like same same thing where a guy who has now had more chances to play with the ones, play in front of that line, uh, and understands a little better because of firsthand experience now what the defense is trying to do. Yeah. And then, you know, Cam Riley absolutely has the size to be impactful. 6'5", 230. We've heard good reports about what he's done in the weight room, right. reports in, as far as workouts. Uh and you saw it on that sack. He made a good play to get that sack. And so a guy I definitely think is going to 
to be able to, to have an impact at a high level coming out of A-Day with the increased reps with the first team that he got. Yeah, yeah. And they'll probably both be technical starters. I mean, I think... A lot I'm of pr- oars in the depth chart there. Well, I'm pretty sure they listed Chandler Wooten as a starter last year even when they started in nickel. I think they had 12 defensive starters. They had a third linebacker and a nickel starter. I think that's how they did it last year. So I'd be curious to see if they do that again. And if I'm remembering that wrong, somebody correct me. All right, the next guy on my list, Lindsey, I'm going to compare him to some of the guys coming out of college football and entering the NFL draft because I think his measurables are that good and that special. More on that in just a moment. Today's show brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the protein bar that looks and tastes like a candy bar. Uh, there's really not a whole lot to, to not like about this. You go to built.com, you check out all the flavors that they have, and they have uh, something for everyone. Blueberry muffin was one that uh, my mother-in-law's in town. She uh, she came down and was like, hey, can I have a built bar? I'm like, absolutely. She pulled out the blueberry muffin. And a um, little different. It's not my favorite, but if you like the fruitier type of flavors mixed with the chocolate, it's still, um, it's still very, very good. So check them all out. They all contain about 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. They keep you full. Check it out at Built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off. That is at Built.com. Also, I want to give some love to our friends at Fetch Me. Fetch Me Home Delivery. They can bring food or or groceries or anything you need. Just go to fetchmedelivery.com. You'll see a long list. They've got a ton of different partners, both with chain stores and uh, other local businesses throughout the Auburn, Opelika, and Lee County community. So be sure to check that out. And also, they are now taking advantage of the new laws passed for alcohol delivery in the state of Alabama. So be sure to check that out at fetchmealcohol.com. It's straightforward. It's very simple and easy to use. They've got vendors growing by the day and products growing um, for more and more things to check and make sure it's delivered safely right to your door. So fetchmedelivery.com or fetchmealcohol.com to check out our local friends at FetchMe. Lindsey Crosby, our guest today. My third person I want to mention that could take a huge step from last season to the 2022 season Killian Zaire. I think he's going to be the starting left tackle. Um, seems like he's really, really impressed his coaching staff um, in spring camp. And look, it's just a new name. It's a new starter that I didn't really understand why he hasn't been in the mix since he stepped foot on campus. I think he was brought in to do that by Gus Malzahn. But I wanted to just mention this. So he's listed at 67312 on Auburn's website right now, which is very tall, which is very large. Yes, But I wanted to go through, and these are the top five offensive tackles in this year's draft kind of consensus. Evan Neal is 6'7", 360, same height, much larger. Like, that is huge. That's too big. They'll lean him up once he gets drafted. Um, Akeem Akonwu is uh, 6'4", 325, similar size there. Charles Cross, 6'5", 312. Trevor Penning, 6'7", 321. That's the closest comp. And then Darian Kennard, 6'5", 345. So, I mean, all of these dudes that have all this upside that the NFL wants has the measurables that Zaire has. I think Zaire could get a little bigger, a little thicker as far as, you know, the the overall weight to match that 6'7", which wouldn't shock me if he started the first game at 6'7", 320. Like, that just wouldn't shock me. 
Right. Uh, they, I mean, they can do that with a six, seven frame over the course of a few months, but he's got all the upside in the world. The only concern I have is why did it take so long for him to get on the field? Um, and to me, it's like, you know, was he given a fair shake? Do they need other guys to kind of open up in front of him? Like, I, I don't fully know what that means, but I, I think as a left tackle, he could take a huge step forward for this team going into next season. Yeah, and and he's a guy that, I mean, like you said, massive size, prototypical size. And if I remember right, the whole being from Germany thing, if I understand it correctly, he hadn't been playing football for like all growing up. So it's a little bit of a of a technique thing, probably learning a bit, getting, making sure he's fundamentally sound. Like a Prince Tega Wanogo kind of situation. Exactly. Physical yeah. marvel. It's make sure he's fundamentally correct before we throw him out there to, to survive. But um, top rated Juco guy for a reason. So I feel good right. about him. Uh, talking about massive size. Uh, my next guy is uh, defensive lineman Jason Jones, a transfer from Oregon. Big boy. Um, 6'6", 3'28". Wow. Uh, that is a load. Uh, that is that that is thick with two C's. If Correct. You yes. And watching A Day now, defensive line stats from A Day not really going to pay a lot of attention to them because you had so many guys out from the first team offensive line. Right. But just watching what he did, he looked way more athletic than somebody of that size has any right to be. There's probably some sort of law about that somewhere. And so, yeah, he's a guy where I feel like he's he's in that. Tony Fair nose tackle like assumption that everybody has. Yeah, like he's like like oh yeah, he's gonna fill this role. He moves but, better than Tony Fair does. I think. I was, I was about to say he moves better than Tony Fair, and I would expect. And this is not a comparison. I am not saying he is this guy. Okay. I would expect a game more along the lines of a Derek Brown than I would a Tony Fair, simply because of his athleticism, the how quickly he can move. Uh, he's not just going to be a guy like a Tony Fair who's going to get there and stand up two linemen and and you know just make a wall. Right. He's going to be able to to split a gap, get in the backfield, penetrate, and and do damage back there. So I expect him to. He's more athletic than I thought he was, and so I expect him to have a big year this year based off what we saw on a day. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, my next guy is uh, he's an absolute unit, Eculiota. Can't go a full uh, full show without mentioning him. But last year, Eku's stat line was 10 tackles for loss and seven sacks on the season. And I think the vast majority of people would say he will do more than that this year. I would, yeah. I, I think he's going to get more opportunity because he came on later, and we talked about that when the absolute unit himself came on the show. But, you know, it, it took him a little bit, and he talked about how huge it was to finally be on campus and actually participating in the spring. Like, that's a big deal. And I just think the impact of the guys that will be next to him will have on, you know, blocking schemes and things like that. Like, Derek Hall, you, you can't double-team him. You can't double-team Colby Wooden. You know, if Jason Jones has the impact that you're you're talking about just a second ago, I mean, there's so many different guys up front. Marquise Burks is another one. I mean, there's just so many dudes that and, you know. Another guy like that we just don't talk about. Probably should have put him on this list. Akevius Walker. Like we we're just not talking about guys like that. But it's just they're so deep and they're so athletic and explosive. Their first step on most of these guys is really really fun to see and, and get excited about. And so. I just think these one-on-one situations that he's going to constantly be seeing on the edge for Eculiota, I think it's going to be really, really good. So, you know, you talk about increasing those stat numbers right there. I mean, 10 tackles for loss, seven sacks last year. 
Um, if he doesn't get double-digit sacks this season, I would almost be pretty underwhelmed by what he does, unless he just really impacts the game as far as pressure and, and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's going to take a huge step forward. And it's it's awful coincidental that you picked a edge right there because my next guy is also an edge. I've got defensive lineman Dylan Brooks. There you go. Okay. So he's a guy where, you know, as the number three edge, he's going to play a ton, especially when we know we only have three scholarship edge guys as of right this second when we're recording. So maybe Joko Willis, maybe, maybe he's there a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he did almost get a second a day. I, I think that's probably where he's going to end up getting moved. Partly a numbers game um, at linebacker numbers game at edge, but yeah. So had five tackles at a day. Uh, but the thing is six, four, two he's got room. Like it's a projectable frame. One of the things we do yeah. on my show a lot, lock to the movie prospects. We talk about these young players and, how they can add weight in a safe, you know, in a safe and effective way. He's a guy that he can easily put on 10, 15 pounds of muscle over the course of his college career. Uh, but right as if he is right now, impressive athleticism. He's got a very quick first step, yep. bend around the edge. And so I think he's going to get enough play where he's going to be probably the breakout player on the line simply because he goes from not played at all last year to what will essentially be starter reps. Um, well, and just having watched him at 80, I, I think he'll be impressive. My, my biggest thing, I, I definitely agree with you on the ability. My only pause with a guy like Dylan Brooks is you have two dudes, if, if you're Auburn, if you're Brian Harson and, and Jeff Schmetting, you got to look at Eku and Hall and be like, man, kind of blessed to get these guys another year. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, both of those guys could have gone to the league. And I just wonder what the split is when you take those guys off the field. And in running downs, are both of those guys going to be on the field or will you take one of them off? I mean, so there's going to be a lot of moving parts, I think, especially because you have so much depth and different role players on that defensive front, like a Zekevious Walker. Do you scoot Kobe Wooden out to end to put Jason Jones and Marquise Gilbert in the middle? Like, I mean, there's a bunch of different things that you could do in, run, in, in rushing defense situations. Right. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about Dylan Brooks as far as like, is he going to get enough? Like, is he going to get enough, a large enough piece of the pie in that rotation to, to really make an impact? But I also think you can make the argument, like if he gets four sacks this season, that's tremendous. You know, if, if he's getting as few reps as I'm thinking he's going to get. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, all the upside in the world. I mean, some of the videos that we've seen from spring practice, he does not look like a redshirt freshman. Like, he is a fully developed hunk of a man. And um, yeah, I mean, he looks like a Marine out there. Yeah. And and part of my thought process there, too, is having as little depth as you do at edge is when you get to some of these games, like in, you know, uh, some of these early season games where you you maybe want to be mindful of the health. You have lower snap counts for some of these guys, Fair. like a Hall and a Leota, and you have more Great snaps point. for a guy like a Brooks or a Willis. And so part of it's that, part of it's rotating in for a drive, you know, first half drive or two second half kind of thing like that. I see your point as far as the starter snaps, but I think he's going to do well. Yeah, I, I do too. And I mean, the, the SEC is throwing it more than ever. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when you go to Mississippi State, when you go to Ole Miss, we don't really know what LSU's doing yet. 
Um, but you got to think. Does that. LSU know what LSU is doing yet? Fair enough. Fair enough. Some of the reports coming out of their camp is wild. It is crazy. So um, Missouri's probably going to pass it a good bit to talk about some of the early games. So no, South I, I Carolina think. Will. Yep. Yep. You're absolutely right. Um, my last guy is um, is Marquise Gilbert. Um, he almost got himself uh, an interception in the A-Day game on uh, TJ Finley, which a big chunk of the Auburn fan base loves bringing that up, by the way. <laughs> like, they love, like, they got that one ready to go. Like, if somebody, anytime somebody says anything good about TJ Finley uh, at A-Day, they're like, well, he, he should have thrown a pick. And it's like, well, the guy that should have picked it off um, was Marquise Gilbert. So, um, but the fact that we've heard and seen so much from him day one is exciting. Mm-hmm. I think with, I mean, there's an open door for the safety spots outside of Donovan Kaufman, I believe. And the fact that he got as much play as he did, I think you got to think some of the the pitching, you know, the sales pitch to get him on campus was, hey, we need you right away. And so um, Marquise Gilbert's my last one to watch. And on that similar note, I also had a guy from the defensive backfield. Quick question for you, Zach. What's your favorite bridge? Who? I don't know a whole lot of bridges, so uh, I will go with um, with the Golden Gate Bridge. Okay, why? It reminds me of Caden Bridges. There you go. That's large, actually coincidentally. It's large and beautiful. That's co- coincidentally my uh, my next pick. Perfect. Not my favorite bridge, by the way. the The state route. The Stave Route 520 Floating Bridge in Seattle, Washington is my favorite bridge. Longest floating bridge in the world. Really? Yes. Wow. 7,700 feet. You drive across it. Anyway. Is that so, the yeah, one no. you would uh, compare Caden uh, Bridges to? I mean, he's strong enough where you can... Yeah. I don't have a thing here. This is y'all's... This is Got you it. and Charlie's bit. It's fine. Got it. But no, so yeah. So, so Caden Bridges... Welcome to I the mean, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I like the size, right? I mean, you know, you look at him 6'2", just over 200. Good size for a downhill safety. You saw him run with the ones plenty during spring. And like you said, kind of an open door there at safety outside of Diamond Kaufman. I think Zion Puckett missed some time, some stuff like that. Uh, Had three tackles at A-Day. And he only played in three games last year. I believe he still has a red shirt. Like I, I, Yeah, if he only played in three games, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. The, the website has him listed as a sophomore, but I think he redshirted anyway. Like, But it, just a thing where he's gotten plenty of experience and he went from special teams only to the first team in the span of one offseason. Right. And so that kind of tells me that even if he's not ultimately one of the starters there at safety, he's going to rotate in quite a bit. He's going to be a useful piece. And if, and if he doesn't win that safety battle and get to start, first time somebody goes down due to injury or ineffectiveness, he's probably the next man up. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like we said a second ago, I mean, the SEC passes it a ton. There's going to be a ton of different things that happen as far as defensive back personnel. So those are our 10 slash 11 guys to kind of keep an eye on. We think those guys are ready for a big step after 8A going into 2022. All right, Auburn baseball. Craziness. Crazy, crazy series. We'll talk about that in just a moment here on Locked on Auburn. But first, betonline.net, they're your number one source for all of your betting, stats, and sports info. Um, You can check it all out at betonline.net. They're your continued source for uh, sporting, wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, 
and more. You can head to their website today or you can use their mobile device. It's very easy to use. That is Bet Online, where the game starts. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Lindsey Crosby. Before we jump into the Auburn baseball action, what all do you have going on in your world right now that people can check out? So, Locked On MLB Prospects is my show, the number the number one daily minor league baseball show. Yes. Love that. It's available wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. You can follow it at Locked On Farm on Twitter. We're doing a mailbag tomorrow. Got some great stuff coming up this week. You can also check out the Auburn baseball writing yes. at auburndaily.com and the merch at aushirts.com where we have uh, our, our thick king himself has created and is now has a, a, a shirt for first baseman Sonny Tachara. Yep, a uh, best-selling shirt. So, yeah, check that out at aushirts.com. Sonny gets way more of the money than we do. So, yeah, check check that out, aushirts.com. Lindsey Crosby, where should we start with all the action that happened this weekend? Wild series. I think we before anything, we need to talk about the game one loss because a lot of people, and I've seen this both. Yes, I've seen this in our Discord I've seen this on Twitter. I had somebody hop into our Twitter space on Saturday night to ask about this uh, because, because that's something we decided to do kind of spontaneously is we did a, tw- a Twitter space it was Friday fun. night, Saturday night. It was fun. It was tons of fun. Started at the seventh inning. It was a great time. Um, so Auburn, game one, has a lead going into the ninth. Blake Burkhalter pitched the eighth, did well. In the ninth, we have uh, a defensive error on a double play ball. We intentionally walk a guy to get the force on, and then a pass ball scores a run. Another walk walks it off for Mississippi State. And a lot of people are, are, are bothered. A lot of people are, are upset. It's like, oh, Auburn choked. Auburn collapsed. Um, I'm of the opinion, and so is Butch Thompson from his postgame comments, if you replay that game, nine out of ten times, Auburn wins that game. Auburn followed the strategy that we have seen work. In but but so people aren't arguing that though. That that doesn't to me that makes it more of a choke, more of a total collapse, right? So it all comes back to the double play ball to Cole Foster, you know, uh, and he fields the ball, drops it on the transfer. We don't get either out. You could you could tell though as soon as he got it, he's like, I have a double play. We're about to yes. win this. You you could see it. And then yes. just the feeling leaves his eyes. And it's like, oh, no. He had hit a home run, I think, in the seventh. Gosh, he was, Cole. He was yeah. feeling it. The loudest hitter on the planet was feeling it. He right. was in a groove. That's not a typical error for Auburn. This is something where, and the point of contention I have with this is people are saying, oh, this is, this is the same old Auburn. This is just Auburn being Auburn. This is, we're not a good team. We're a good team. Yeah. We, we had a bad inning. And everything went according to plan. We asked Butch about this after the game, and he said, you know, I can't think of anything I'd do differently. Okay. I mean, if I had to do it all over again, there's not a lot I'd like to change. Like, we, we've we played this game over and over and have found a way, just not tonight. Um, And so that happens. Auburn comes back. 
Uh, game two is not great. Auburn no. has a chance late to to um, tie it up, score some runs. The rally kind of falls short, and they end up losing. And the frustrating thing about this, and this is kind of emblematic of the whole series, is, and this is, again, straight from Butch Thompson, that was one of Trace Bright's better starts of the year. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the better outings that he's had this year. Uh, he gives up two runs early, pretty much shuts him down from that point on. And it kind of comes back to what we've talked about before about game one, when you use Swilling, I'm sorry, Carson Skipper and Blake Burkhalter for three or four innings, you don't have a, a reliever out of the bullpen that you trust in game two. We've seen this now a couple times. And part of me wonders now that we've seen Joseph Gonzalez, like he did, he went eight innings in game three this week. He went nine innings in game three last week. He's on it, man. Yep. He's on it. He's clearly our best pitcher right now. And right. so I'm beginning to wonder because you have this glaring strategic issue of no reliever you trust in game two, because you use both of them in game one, do you move Joseph Gonzalez to game two so that you can avoid needing to use the bullpen for as long knowing that you can bring a skipper and a Burke Halter back in game three mm. to close it out like Auburn did for game three after Joseph Gonzalez went eight against Mississippi State. I mean, it makes sense. How big of an adjustment is that from weekend to weekend? Well, because South Carolina is this weekend, right? South Carolina is this weekend. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I think the good thing here is you couldn't make that switch this week because you had a short week. You had a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, which... Uh, hot take, I like a Thursday through Saturday better than a Friday through Sunday. That's just me. I know Friday nights in the SEC are a thing. I just like a Thursday through Saturday. But anyway, I think that now having an extra day on the front end, you can make this change. And to me, it takes a little bit of pressure off Joseph Gonzalez because he's gone in the last couple game threes uh, from either a, I have to win this for us to win the series, or like this last weekend, I have to win this so we don't get swept. Wept. Yeah. And so now you take a guy who is pitching out of his mind right now and you put him in that even lower pressure situation of game two and you got to feel pretty good about Auburn's ability. Now, whether the coaching staff does that or not, I don't know. I plan to ask that from Butch. We have two midweeks this week. We'll get two bits of media availability with them. I plan to ask him about, is that something they've discussed or something they want to do? Can't promise I'll get an answer out of him. He's a, uh, you know, he has been, surprisingly candid at times especially after the series yeah uh, but that's yeah. definitely not something that i expect him to to give us on the record right up front on tuesday or wednesday so l let's talk about that um okay. butch is probably my favorite coach that i've ever gotten to cover like I, I i have nothing but tremendous amounts of respect for butch thompson mm -hmm. and yes i i said that and i, I i've gotten to cover bruce pearl but I, I i love butch thompson's approach to his sport Straight shooter, but also like super diplomatic about things. But he was asked by Brad Law in the uh, Auburn Sports postgame show after game three about, you know, Brad kind of angled it from the, um, you know, adversity angle of like, you're on the road, um, a ton of rain delays throughout the series. You know, it's got to feel good to, you know, steal one at the end kind of thing. And Butch just really just calls out Mississippi State for how they handled all of it. And they were manipulative with, and, and with what all they did. And it's really kind of let them have it. Yeah. And 
the the two big things that he directly cited in that that conversation was one the the lightning delay i guess lightning delay they pulled the tarp back on the field i think it was the eighth inning of game two with the storm i think the storm was about 50 miles away and so they said well there's lightning in the area butch said 75 in his answer 75 yeah. yeah yeah there was they they were concerned it was close enough where they needed to stop everything hard stop at the game i mean and they got that tarp out within minutes they were ready for it yeah. They, they were ready for it. And it's something where any momentum you may have possibly had was gone. And then pitching wise, now Auburn has to get a, probably has to get a new reliever up because it's hard for a bullpen guy to sit for over an hour and then come back out and pitch again. And so he was unhappy about that. And then game three, the, the reason you see so many game threes at like one o'clock or two o'clock is because the team checks out of the hotel that morning and they leave and go home after the game. And he talked about, we checked out of the hotel that morning and we were sitting around waiting to find out when we were going to play and we're scattered all around because we don't have a hotel anymore. We don't have a conference room we can go to in a hotel. We're scattered all around between buses and other places because the game was supposed to be at one. I believe first pitch ended up being five or five thirty. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and the thing for Butch, like, like you, like you alluded to, he's from Aberdeen, Mississippi. He's a local boy. He yeah. coached at Mississippi State, and he said, I'm very appreciative of my time here because if it was not for my time here, I would not be at Auburn. Right. But you could tell he was very disappointed with the the gamesmanship that went into how the delays were set up and when start times were and when games were paused for weather because he felt like it wasn't it wasn't just let's have your guys play our guys. And so let's try to manipulate this to give our guys the best advantage we can. And that's just not the way Butch does things. No, no. Butch wants to line up and beat you. He doesn't need any of that other stuff. And he'll take it when uh when he gets beat, and he'll win with class when he beats you. And, and that's just who he is. And so uh, I'm glad he's our coach, and I'm glad that he took that shot. Because if he if he's saying that, it's probably it's probably closer to true than not. So... Uh, like you said, two uh, two midweeks and then take on South Carolina this weekend. And Lindsay will have all that coverage throughout the week at AuburnDaily.com. Lindsay, what else do we need to mention before we wrap up today? Last thing is with this series loss going one and two, Auburn is still tied for second in the SEC West. Alabama and Tennessee finished up their series on Sunday. Tennessee won. And so Auburn is still tied for second with Texas A&M and Alabama. Great. They hold the tiebreaker over Texas A&M because right. they won that series. And they will host Alabama at home. So Auburn still has a track to get one of those top four seeds in the SEC tournament and avoid the single elimination game. That'd be huge. That would be huge. And so they can get that going um, this weekend, um, which is then, – then it's Tennessee, right? Uh, South Carolina, then I believe it is – Yes, it is Tennessee. Oh, I will gosh. be. I am traveling out of town for that for that series. So I'm a little disappointed. I'm not going to get to cover it. I'm not going to be able to watch it. I'll be out in Texas. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I'm a little glad I don't have to watch it. Depends. Because uh, it's yeah, depends. it's going to be one way or the other for sure. For yeah, sure. Exactly. Um, Lindsay, one more time. How can people find you here? You support you. All that stuff. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Uh, you can follow my show on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can subscribe to Locked On MLB Prospects for every podcast. Uh, the writings at Auburn Daily and the merch is at AUShirts.com. Yep. My, uh, my writing is uh, at AuburnDaily.com as well. And, of course, you can check everything out. Just search Locked On Auburn on any social media platform or on YouTube. We'll see you tomorrow. 
right here on Locked on Auburn. See ya!